0: Good morning, everyone. How are you, you doing today? Good to see everyone this morning. We serve an amazing God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So glad that each of you are here this morning. And my prayer is that you came expecting to, uh, to hear something and to take something with you from God, but not only that, to, to offer something to Him this morning as we now come to the portion where we actually open the Word of God today. So. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and we want to thank you once again that, Lord, you did pay it all through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are grateful this morning beyond measure. We are excited, Father, to not only be here among other believers in Christ as we encourage and just celebrate what it means to be in Jesus, but Lord, now as we come to this time that we are privileged to open the Word of God up, Father, I'm asking, Lord, that God, you alone would be the teacher this morning. Father, we simply are here to, to listen, to have open hearts and minds. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the word of God that is never changing, that will last for all eternity. That God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever in an ever-changing world and culture and time. Father, you remain the same. And I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word today. And Lord, as every week, Father, we ask and pray, if there's anyone here today, Father, that has yet not come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, and to experience what that truly means to be reborn in Christ, that I pray, Father, that you would once again do what only you can do through the Holy Spirit, and that is to draw that individual to you with an understanding of their great desperate need for a Savior, and that in you alone, Christ, you accomplish that. And it's a free gift to all who come openly and willingly to take and proclaim and receive this gospel message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, I hope that you brought some things to write on this morning. Um, We're going to begin now, I believe, probably um, one of the most uh, very important seasons of study within our church as we now enter into the, I believe, the greatest letter that has ever been written we know the Word of God itself is the greatest letter written, but within that, we're going to be turning our now, ourselves now to the um, letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and we are going to make our way through the book of Romans. Romans, they have said, is the greatest letter ever written. It is the mountaintop of depth of doctrine and truth. Um, and also the greatest letter that I believe the Apostle Paul wrote to any of the churches in the New Testament. Um, This morning, we're going to spend just our time together in the round pen, if you will. Um, We are not going to open the gate until next week, where we actually will leave the round pen, and we're going to actually ride the mountain, if you will, of Romans. And you will not be the same after we've gone through this. This is going to change your life. This is going to grow you in Christ. This is going to um, absolutely give you a better understanding about what Christ did, what he is doing, what he's going to do, but what you are and who you are in Christ Jesus. And it is a profound gospel that we're going to learn about. It is the gospel of grace, but this message that Paul was given to write to the book of Romans is going to bless you and change you this, this, these next several. It's going to take a while, so... We're going, to, we're going to ride through here. We're not going to run, trot, lope. We are simply going to walk through the word of God as we go through the book of Romans. It's been said if every other letter, every other book of the 66 books uh, were to be taken from you and you were only allowed to have one book to keep with you, many have said the only one that they would keep if they were restricted to one would be the book of Romans. And you're going to find out why that's so important as we, as we learn and as we read through this And study this together as the body of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1 in verse 1. Follow along with me. This won't take very long. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. So if you have an NIV, uh, King James, New King James, whatever, it may read just a slight difference in some of the words. But this is what it says. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. That is all we're going to cover this morning. And we won't actually get completely covered through that. But we're going to remain in the round pin today, so um, hang on with me as we, as we begin these very beginning phases. And I want to start out this morning with talking to you about the very beginning. This letter is from Paul. And I know for some of you here, maybe you don't know who Paul the Apostle even was. Paul the Apostle, also known by his Hebrew name, Saul. Paul is actually Latin, would have been the name, his Roman name. Paul the Apostle here writing this letter in about A.D. 56, which would put it about 21 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul here is writing now to the church at Rome. And if you read just a little further down there, you're going to understand that the Apostle Paul has never yet made it to Rome. He's always wanted to go there. He wanted to go there to preach the gospel there. But he says that he was prevented by doing so in about the 12th and 13th verse of chapter 1. We know the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing that. Now, I'm telling you what a great thing the um, sovereignty of God is. God is sovereign, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all these things, but if Paul would have made it to Rome, we would not have the book of Romans. So Paul wrote this this gospel, if you will, to the church at Rome. He's never been there, but yet he's desired to go there, kind of like some of you. You'd like to go somewhere you've never been. Um, Maybe not, but uh, Hawaii's not a bad choice, wouldn't want to live there, but going there's not such a bad thing. But the Apostle Paul now wanted to go to Rome, but the Holy Spirit prevented him as he started all these other churches and everything else that had happened there. So we know that there's a church in Rome, but our question is this, well, how did the church in Rome even begin? How did it start? If one of the apostles had not gone there, which we know they had not, we know uh, that, that, that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, had not been there, well, there's a, there's a clue for us. In um, Acts chapter 2. And if you go there quickly with me, we're going to read just briefly um, what probably happened and how the early church itself was founded there. You'll remember that in Acts now, after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, he told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for. The promised Holy Spirit that I've, I've told you is going to come. So they went there and they waited. And we have in Acts chapter 2 an amazing thing happens where with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament had always been with man. Occasionally the Holy Spirit, the dynamite power of God, would be upon man. But he would never indwelt man. And so he told his disciples, yes, the Holy Spirit is with you. But one day he will be inside you. He will indwell you. And we know in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happened when the disciples and the apostles are gathered around in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes at what we call Pentecost, and he came and indwelt the believers there. It started in verse 5, and we're going to read a few verses. This is going to give you a little bit of a background about how the church in Rome actually began. In verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came and together in bewilderment because what did they hear? They heard the sound now of the disciples now were, we're actually we're enabled to speak now the gospel, if you will, not in their own, uh, their own language, but now they're, they're not speaking Babel here. They're speaking a known language. A language known from other parts of the world. So in other words, if you were there and it was not the case, but if you were there from Mexico and you came and you would have been there, you would have heard someone who was not Hispanic with a Hispanic background able to speak Spanish speaking now in Spanish. It was something the Holy Spirit had enabled them to do, and these were known languages. That's what they were. That's what the word tongues here is talking about. A known tongue, a known language. That's what happened at Pentecost. And so, Jews from all over the surrounding world had come now to Jerusalem, and they're there, and now they're hearing these men, these Jewish men, speaking now in their own languages. And it is a mind-boggling thing to them to be able to do that. By the way, a team from here is leaving this afternoon. We're headed to Honduras, and it would be wonderful if I would be able to speak in their language. But we use a translator for that. But there are things and times where God has enabled people to do that. But anyway, that's, that's what happened here. And so all the Jews now from around the God-fearing world there, known in that modern time, have come now to Jerusalem there. And the disciples now, with the power of the Holy Spirit on them and in them, were enabled to actually now proclaim the gospel in other languages. Very important we understand that. And so, they were bewildered when they heard this sound. And it says right there in verse 6, Each one heard them speaking in his own language. Mind-blowing. be like me going to Russia and talking in Russian. I don't know how to speak in Russian, but the Holy Spirit enabled them to do that. There's a reason for that because you're going to see here in just a minute why that was so critical and so important. It says, utterly amazed in verse 7, they asked one another, Are all these men who are speaking Galileans? Aren't these Jews? Aren't these just Galileans? They're scratching their head going, how is this happening? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? They don't know how these guys are doing it, right? This is who was there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene. There were also, read this, visitors from Rome. There were visitors from Rome there. Isn't that amazing? Both Jews and converts to Judaism. And what's absolutely amazing here is that these men of God, these apostles, the disciples, now they're speaking, but they're speaking in another language. And these people from all over the world now are hearing this amazing proclamation of what's happening here. And it says here there were believers, not believers, but there were Jews and those who actually had converted to Judaism from Rome. That's where we see a great clue. And so after this took place, obviously, we know that 3,000 were added to the church early on there, but these were possibly those Romans who actually heard now the proclamation from the apostles now speaking, and they take it now back to Rome from Jerusalem. And the early church now has started. It has begun right there in Rome. And so Paul has not been there. He's wanted to go there. And so that's how he is, I believe, writing now to a church in Rome where no apostle had even gone to start a church. It was from these that were gathered there, I believe, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And so it's an amazing thing to, to read that and to see that. Now, Rome, um, we understand... Uh, Actually heard this gospel, take it back, they're starting now. And what we find now is Paul was not born, if you will. He was not born, um, he was born in in Tarsus of Sicily, which is actually modern day Turkey. Don't get bored here. I'm trying to keep you all going here. Let's get boring. But he was a Jew, but he was actually born in a Roman province. He was born in somewhere that Rome controlled. And so he not only was a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew, which you're going to read in Acts, that comes in very, very important, especially when he is actually getting ready to be uh, beaten, and he mentions that he's a Roman citizen. So anyway, so who was this Paul? Many of you do not know who he was. Let's look and see what we find out about this Paul. He was also known as Saul. That's the first time we meet him. We're going to see him by the name of Saul, which would have been his Hebrew name. But we also know his name is Paul, which would have been his Latin name or his Roman name. Paul's the author of the book of Romans. Very important we understand that. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Two-thirds of the New Testament. He was also the apostle chosen by God to go to the Gentiles and proclaim the gospel of grace. That's what Paul's main ministry was. But let me tell you something. God uses the most unlikely people for his service. And if there's anyone here today that says God could never use, desire, or want somebody like me, let me encourage you this morning that God absolutely desires, loves, cares for, died, and wants to use someone like you. And that is the truth. You say, well, John, how do you know that? It's very important that we understand Paul in 1 Timothy writing the letter He says this statement. This is the Apostle Paul now. We're going to learn about him this morning. He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, he is really the most unlikely person that you would think God would use for this specific calling. But he told Timothy this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst of all. Paul said, I am the worst of all sinners. You want to see God can use somebody like me? I'm the prime example, Paul says. If you don't think God could use you, by the way, I bought the ticket. I got the most on my scorecard. Trust me. My teacher told me I was the worst. Paul says, I was the worst of all sinners. So how is it that Paul, being the worst of all sinners in his mind was used by God through Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to write two-thirds of the New Testament and take this gospel literally to the Gentile nations that has completely swept across the globe that you and I live on. Only by the grace and the mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly how that happened. If you're here this morning, you say, John, I've got too many checks on my scorecard. Trust me, I know what I've done. God could never, ever, ever Use somebody like me. I'm here to tell you this morning that that is a lie. That is not the truth. And God will and can if you'll make yourself available for his use in your life. You've got to know that. So continuing on. In Acts chapter 21, we learn something else about the Apostle Paul. You can write some of these things down. It's important we understand who this man is. We're going to see why he said he was the worst of all sinners in a minute. We learn in Acts chapter 21 that Paul was born in Sicily. He was born in Tarsus of Sicily, which is modern-day Turkey, which is a free, designated city by the Romans. And uh, Paul was a Roman citizen there. In Acts chapter 22, we also learn that Paul was raised in the city of Jerusalem. Born in Turkey, he was raised now in Jerusalem. Very, very important that we understand that. You're going to see the sovereignty of God here. All the way through Scripture, do you know that God is sovereign God is so sovereign that he knew the Apostle Paul before the foundation of the world. You have to understand that. God had already saw down through the quarters of all history because he's outside time and space. And he so orchestrated everything in the Apostle Paul's life to work perfectly for what he had set him apart for when Paul the Apostle would be born and what Paul the Apostle would be used of God to do he already had preordained before the foundation of the world. What an amazing God we serve. He's doing the same thing in your life and doing the same thing in my life as well today. So not only was he raised in Jerusalem, we also know that Paul's parents were both Jewish. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Paul himself, we learn in Acts chapter 23, was a Pharisee. That's what he was. So he was one of the real high-up religious individuals within the Jewish community. He was a Pharisee. We also know that Paul's father was a Pharisee, so he was raised in a pharisaical home. He was raised in that, and not only was he a Pharisee and his father a Pharisee, we also know that Jesus had the harshest things to say to anybody. He said to who? The Pharisees. That's exactly right. He said they're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Pretty on the outside, but you're dark and devilish on the inside. And that's what Jesus had to say for the Pharisees who were so concerned about keeping everything perfect to the point of even the herbs that they had. They divided everything absolutely perfect, keeping traditions and all of those things to the T. That's what Paul the Apostle grew up in, and that's what the Apostle Paul grew up doing, and that's what the Apostle Paul grew up teaching. That's what he did. In Acts chapter 22, we learn that Paul was taught by a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, We understand that to be that Gamaliel was one of the most esteemed teachers of the law. The same who in Acts chapter 5 we read about when the early disciples were actually being persecuted. They were actually thrown in jail and so on and so forth. They're brought before the Sanhedrin, right? And they're wanting to do some serious damage to this way here, these people of Jesus Christ. And they're going to deal with them. And this is what Gamaliel says in Acts chapter 5. The teacher of Paul, this man himself, a Pharisee, one of the great teachers like Nicodemus of the nation of Israel, he said this. So my advice is to you, Sanhedrin, the rest of you here. This is my advice, he says. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God... You will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. That was Gamaliel. Where do we first see Paul in Scripture? Well, the first time we see Paul in Scripture is in Acts chapter 7. That's where we see Paul for the first time in Scripture. We see him in Acts chapter 7 at a, if you want to call a stoning of a believer in Christ. A man, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit and full of the wisdom and stuff that God has given him. He's one of the early disciples of Christ, chosen as one of the seven to go out and begin to do the work and ministry for the disciples. And this man, Stephen, now preaches his first message to those Pharisees and all of those involved in that religious system. And guess what they do to him? They drag him out of the city, don't get any ideas, and they stone him. They stone him. And this is the first time we see this man, the Apostle Paul, ever in Scripture. We find him here where Stephen, a saint and servant of God filled with power and the Holy Spirit, preaches his first sermon right down the gullet of those religious false individuals, and tells him how the cow ate the cabbage, if you will, and they drag him out of the city because they don't want to hear what he has to say any longer. The truth is sometimes hard to take. It says in Acts seven fifty four through 8, 1, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. Now listen, they had the ability now to do this, they were doing something illegal here because they weren't, he didn't go through a court system here. They just did it. But it says right here, but Stephen now, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God as they're dragging this man out of the city and they're going to stone him to death. It says Stephen opens his eyes, he looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of the Father. The only time in Scripture you ever see Jesus Christ standing after his ascension is right here when he was being Stephen was being stoned. We see Jesus now standing next to the Father, and he sees Jesus there in heaven looking at Stephen. What an unbelievable picture of who Jesus Christ is in our life. And we see this Christ standing now, and then it moves on from there. It says, And he told them, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. They couldn't stand this because Jesus, he was not their Messiah. They had killed him and they had crucified him. And they were trying to get rid of this rubbish called Christianity. And they're doing their head best to get it done. And Jesus, and then he says this to them, they put their hands over their ears. You can imagine, they don't want to hear this any longer. Kind of like your three-year-old does when you're telling them no exactly what they're doing they stick their hands over their ears they begin to shout they rush at him they drag him out of the city they begin to stone him his accusers took off their coats i mean it's going to be a hot laborsome job throwing rocks at somebody till you kill them they take their cloaks off of them and they set them the bible says at a young man named saul the apostle paul the very first time we see paul in scripture he is standing giving his approval now as one of the witnesses that these men who are stoning Stephen has his absolute, absolute um, approval for what they're doing. And so Saul is standing there as a witness. He's watching these men grabbing their stones. And he's seeing Stephen. He's seeing it all. He's heard Stephen. He's heard it all. And he sees everything that's happening. The apostle Paul with a smile and a smirk on his face and enjoying every single sound of bone-crushing rock hitting Stephen. He gives complete approval that these men are justified by God in killing this man who says Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That's the first time we see Paul. And he enjoyed every single moment of it. He thought he was doing God a favor. It's the first time we ever see Paul the Apostle. As he's watching this scene take place, and Saul is there with a smirk or Paul on his face, saying, we'll get this one for you, God. Put another mark in my belt. This is what Stephen says. And they stoned him, and Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, and he shouted, Listen, Lord, don't charge this offense against these men. Don't charge him with this sin, God. And with that, he died. Saul was one of those giving witness, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. What does it mean to be a witness? That's what it means to, to give consent, a hearty, enthusiastic way to a degree of pleasure in ridding the world of that Christian riff wrath. And from that point on, the church was persecuted, and guess what it did through persecution? It just spread. Kind of like ragweed. Just, woo, It spread all over what it did see persecution will not kill the church persecution will always cause the church to grow always always has always will so here's the apostle paul the first time we see him this is saul now the next time we're going to see saul here in the pages of scripture is only a few chapters from here in chapter 9 of the book of luke excuse me of acts luke wrote acts on my mind's here of Acts chapter 9, we see this man, Saul, again. This guy here is something else. He was very zealous for God, but he didn't even know who God was. See, it's interesting, the Jews were anticipating the Messiah to come. They were even wondering if John the Baptist could be him. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And let me tell you something. We're going to look at this in Daniel on Wednesday nights. Did you know that Daniel's prophecy even foretold the coming of Christ to the very year, 500 years before it happened? It's amazing because God is omniscient. He is is sovereign in all things. They were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Trust me, they were. They rejected Jesus. He didn't meet their bill of health, if you will. Quarantined him. Put him on the cross. Killed him and covered it up and still... For some reason, this group of crazy individuals are continuing to disobey the laws of those who said, don't you speak another word about him. Choose for yourself whether we should obey you or obey God, they said. So the next time we see the Apostle Paul, we find him here now on his way to a place called where? Damascus. Now Damascus, you have to understand, is not really just like right there. It's about 150 miles away, and Paul is on his way now along the Mediterranean Sea up to the city of Damascus, which is now north, located in the area of Syria. It's very interesting that Paul the Apostle, I don't know about you, but that's some serious drive. That's what that is. It says in Acts 9, 1 through 19, follow along, you're going to see what's going on here in this picture. Talking about this Paul now. Meanwhile, Saul, or Paul, was uttering threats with every breath, and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I mean, he was eager. He thought he was doing God a huge favor, and he was doing everything within his power to just to to kill every aspect of those who called themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul was doing everything he could. So he went to the high priest now, which is going to be the big guru that That really has the weight. And this is what it says in verse 2. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. Over a hundred miles away. Paul can't get enough. You hear me? Can't get enough. Jesus told his disciples that they were going to be what? Persecuted. He said they were going to be thrown in prison. All of those things were going to happen. They were going to be drugged before kings. They were actually going to be martyred for their faith in him. He he said this, let me tell you something, guys. You're going to be hated on my account. Well, that makes you just want to get out of bed in the morning, doesn't it? These men had to either be crazy or they had to know without one question of a doubt that Jesus Christ was who he says he was. Right? So... He requests for letters now from the high priest to go to every synagogue in Damascus, and he asks for their cooperation that that he might arrest any follower of the way. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way, by the way. And and Paul here says, if I find them, I'm going to bring them back. We're going to throw them in prison. Let's just go ahead and execute these people. Let's get them off the face of the earth. And he wanted to bring them in, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. That's what Paul wanted to do. Like an old western movie, right? You bet. It was not enough for Paul to clean up around Jerusalem. That didn't satisfy him. But now you can almost see him with greater resolve and purpose in chasing down the followers of Christ. Paul would get his his hit list from the synagogues, and by the way, the synagogues would know who had made a decision to follow Christ. They would have known which ones would have converted to Christianity. And he knew where they were. They knew where they were, what their names were. And Paul simply had to go with a letter from the high priest and say, tell me everyone that you know that's in this community who belongs to the way. And he would get the answers that he needed. He was like an old west hired gun. That's what he was. Paul had an itchy trigger finger and he couldn't wait to use it. That's who Paul was. But something profound happened. Profound is an understatement. Something miraculous took place in Paul's life. The last thing that Paul dreamed would happen, happened. The Bible says in, in 9 of Acts, verse 3, As he, Paul, was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven sh- suddenly shone around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Saul, let me tell you something. God knows your name. You remember the most unlikely time in your life? The last thing you ever expected at any given moment that would happen to you was to hear your name called out. You remember when Jesus Christ singled you out and called you by name? Paul or Saul, Saul, why are you not persecuting those people that I love? Why are, he didn't say, or persecuting those who, who just simply say they're of the way or those who simply say they're following Christ. One of my disciples, he didn't say that. What he told Paul was profound, and you need to understand this. As we move forward in the clicking of time, we need to get this because this is going to be important in the years ahead. He tells Paul here, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Not those who are called by my name. Why are you persecuting me? Because when the world persecutes the church, it's not so much as they're persecuting you because they don't like the way you look or the color of your hair or what style of boots you wear or the type of jeans you've got on. When the world persecutes the church, there's only one reason they persecute the church. And it's not for any other reason than that they hate the one and only by the name of Jesus Christ. That's why the church is persecuted. You at your work, getting the little jabs in the back, getting left out of things trotting down through a pasture and the guys don't want to ride with you anymore because they can't talk about certain things or don't think they want to talk about certain things because all of a sudden you got religious one day. That's a form of persecution as you ride down through the brush country. Be praising and thanking God. Remember this. This is the truth you need to grasp. He didn't say, Paul, why why are you persecuting Philip or so and so? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because whatever they do to you, they do it to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that is the truth. And this is what Paul says. Duh. Who are you, listen to this, Lord? You remember when you were sitting there? message is going on. Maybe you're riding in your truck. Something's happening. All of a sudden, things you don't remember anything. But all of a sudden, you hear a voice in your very soul. And it's as if somebody thundered from heaven. Your very name when God called you by name. You remember that? Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, listen to this. I am Jesus Christ, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine? (laughs) what Paul did here I can't even imagine here, Paul is killing everyone who proclaims the name of Christ and put him in jail and drag him in chains and take them from their phone families and their homes. Paul has he's so zealous to get rid of these stinking riff called Christianity, and all of a sudden on his way to do the very thing that he felt he was gonna get accomplished, and that is his life's purpose is to eradicate this. called jesus sect all of a sudden on his way to do the very thing a supernatural event happens a light from heaven blows in front of him and he hears the words saul saul and he says you're persecuting me saul by the way this is jesus christ wow remember the reason paul was chasing these believers down like a hound after a rabbit it was not because he didn't like their last name. He didn't like what side of the tracks they lived on. They didn't have maybe something this or that or color of, of, of their eyes or whatever it might have been. There's only one reason he chased them down. It's because they stood for the name of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us would fold in a heartbeat that fast. Some of you are sleeping right now. How many of us would fold in a heartbeat if we were approached to take you off to prison for the name of Christ Jesus? I'll tell you who will. Those who only have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Those who only come to church because that's what they think they should do. Those who have never encountered the one true Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, will belly down and crawl like a yellow goose all the way. They'll do it because they don't have what it takes to stand for Jesus Christ because it's nothing but a figment of their imagination. It's the truth. Now Paul is in a quandary here. Remember that Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 18. He says this, if the world hates you. See, the church wants the world to love it. This is, what I, this is where we're at in American Christianity. We want everybody outside of Christianity to just love the church. To the point, we will water it all down for you. We won't talk about certain topics You know what I'm saying? We, we're not going to really tell you the whole truth Nothing but the truth, so help us, God. We're only going to tell you a partial little bit of the truth so that you can pick what you like and throw the rest away. We want to look so much like the world, so the world goes, Oh, yeah, let's all go be like them. Listen to me, that's not the way the church has ever worked, and it never will. And in American Christianity today, we all want to look so pretty and act so great, and we say, We got everything you want, world. Just come here and take a little bit of this and that. That's not the truth. The truth is the gospel is a stumbling block to those who are what perishing the truth of the Word of God this is not what I say this is what God says and I hope you get this but I have a responsibility if you find out what God has called us to do as pastor teachers my responsibility for God is to prepare you to help you grow in maturity so that you can do the works of the ministry that's my job and if I don't do that here you might as well tell me to hit the road jack and find somebody else who will that's what I'm here for. Do you not understand? That's why I'm passionate. I have people that leave the church because he gets too emotional. Emotional. I get emotional when I think about people spending eternity in hell. I do. I get emotional when I talk about my Savior and the love of my life, Jesus Christ. I do get emotional. And I am a cowboy. And if you don't like it, there's the door. You hear me? Oh, man. man. sorry that was my little box okay man people leave because i get emotional (laughs) what in the world that person needs to get saved that's the needs to happen my word anyway that's not that was about me it shouldn't have been sorry that was wrong moving on here this is supposed to be about him and i made that about me there and i apologize this is about god not about me And you know what? If they all laugh at my emotion, it shouldn't matter because it isn't about me. It's about Christ. And if I get a little emotional when I think about the great and the goodness and the amazing gift of grace through salvation, then so be it. And if everybody wants to pack and hit the road, so be it because it's about him and it ain't about me anyway. All right, moving on. Lord, I am sorry. Forgive me for that. Moving forward here. All right. He tells his disciples this. The world, remember this. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first, Jesus says. The world would love you as its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you, he says. Do you remember what I told you, he told his disciples? A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They don't listen to you. That's because they didn't listen to me. They will do all this to you because of me, he says. For they have rejected the one who sent me. John 16, he goes on and says this, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Boy, that happened to the Jews. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to me. There's Paul. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. He's a Pharisee, didn't even know the Father. I have told you this that when their time comes, when that time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this was from the begin I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Remember, being a follower of Jesus Christ can and will bring persecution to you as an individual. It's okay if you go to a football game and you have to sit somewhat by yourself. It's okay. Love people anyway. All right, it's okay. It's okay if you do certain things and you just, it doesn't quite fit like everything else in the world. It's okay. You're not of this world anymore. You get it? Now, he tells Paul, get up. Why? Because he was on the ground. Do you hear me? Let me say this very clearly. And I'm speaking to our culture now. Pride is a terrible thing. It's a good thing to a point when we talk about pride of how we work and so on and so forth. But I'm talking about our own stinking pride. No one will ever come to Jesus with his shoulders back, his chest forward, and his chin up. You'll only come to Jesus in humility. That's it. The thing that we have to push through with our culture is that. That's it. Why many people don't come to Christ is because they want to come to Christ like this. On my terms, you can't come to Jesus that way. Because when you hear his voice and you see the light, you won't stand in his presence. You will be humbled immediately truth he says Paul get up aren't you glad he didn't leave us there he says get up son get up son Whew, man now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do wow couldn't Christ have just told him <laughs> but there's more going on here than just Paul see it's not about Paul either There's some other believers that he's been persecuting. They need to be involved in this deal. God has a... He's doing so much around you all the time. He says, by the way, Paul, you're going to have to be led now into the city blind. We're going to go ahead and knock you down about, oh, 99 notches. You prideful, arrogant Pharisee. Now you're going to actually be led Blind into the city. You're not walking in there holding up your letters now. I'm the Apostle Paul, and I've come here to eradicate Christianity. You're gonna come in there now, staggering around, being led by somebody. I'm the Apostle Paul who came to eradicate Christianity. You see what I'm saying? Now the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice and saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. And when he'd opened his eyes, he was blind. Oh, man. For three days, and he did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. He was a follower of the way in Damascus, where Paul was going to get rid of him. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling him, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street. I love that name. To a house of Judas, not Judas Iscariot, by the way, he was dead. When you get there, ask for a man named Saul, a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying, listen to this, this is the intimacy of our God. You've you got to see the Father the way he is. There is a man there by the name of Saul. He is praying right now to me. He's praying to me. Oh, God, restore my sight. He's repenting. Can you imagine what Paul was doing? See, when when you meet Christ, you still don't love what you did. When you meet Christ and you encounter the one true Savior, you absolutely hate what you used to do. Paul is praying and crying out to God, Oh, God, oh, God, Jesus Christ, forgive me. Can you imagine? What Paul was praying. That's what he was doing. God knew he was praying to him. God knows when we pray to him, amen? He's praying to me right now. He says, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. Isn't this something? Coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. See, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to require the very ones. This is so amazing. Now, listen. He's going to require now Paul to rely solely on God through his chosen body. Listen to this. He's going to have to rely on the ones he was going to eradicate to come to him and lay hands on him in order that he might even receive his sight. Wow. But Isn't that what the church does? Even when you're persecuted, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love. Because it's like pouring coals on their heads, is what the Bible says. And here Paul, man, he talk about humility, boys. It's like, whoa, whoa, he's crawling under the dirt here. You hear me? A man by the name of Ananias is going to come lay hands on him so he can see again. But the Lord exclaimed to Ananias, I've hurt Now, but Lord exclaimed, "Ananias, I know it's lengthy, but hang with me. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. Now, listen, Ananias already knew this, and he's been authorized to come here in Damascus now by the priest and arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Ananias is like, oh, oh, Lord, whoo! But breaks. Are you sure about this? You know what I'm saying?" Because some ain't right here. Listen. It's exactly what happened. It's exactly what God said. But listen to what God said here. I don't have it in here. I'm sorry that I don't, but I'm going to go to it quickly. I know you guys are hungry. I know this is long. You guys can go if you have to, but I've got to just finish this up, okay? Acts chapter 7. Go to Acts chapter 9. Sorry. They probably got it up there before I do. Here we go. The Lord said to Ananias in verse 15. They probably got it up before I did. Thank you all. Yeah. Okay. Go, this man, listen to this. This don't make any sense. Is it not the most amazing thing when you know someone who was so far out in left field, and they come to Christ, and all of a sudden, God takes them and uses them, and you're going, Gee how did that happen? Listen to this. This is so powerful. This man, God says, is my chosen instrument. Wow. To carry my name. Oh man. Listen to the one name that we used to all run against. You hear me? The one that we thought was a big stinking joke and all them crazy lunatics out there at the church who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. All of a sudden, this one who was eradicating Jesus Christ, guess what he's going to have to do now? Guess what he's going to get to do now? He will take my name. Listen. He'll carry it before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him, listen to this, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Oh, by the way, Paul, this ain't going to be a glorified thing about Paul. Oh, by the way, Paul, guess what you signed up for here? Pain, suffering, rejection, beatings, shipwrecks. Let's go down the list. I know it's getting late. We've got to roll. It's exactly what happened. Ananias comes. He receives his sight. The Bible says immediately, what's Paul do? He gets with it. He don't drag around, say, well, maybe in six months I might tell somebody about Jesus. No, immediately Paul goes. Immediately. Paul meets the very one he's been trying to kill. Paul went from seeing only with physical eyes to spiritual eyes. And Paul met the one who he thought he was pursuing to kill was actually pursuing him. The beauty of the gospel. Now you know as you think about this letter to the book of Rome, the book of Romans, who this apostle Paul was. And this is only the beginning. Next Sunday we're going to open the gate on the round pen, we're going to kick the door open and we're going to ride through what i believe is one of the most doctrinally deep books that's going to grow you more than you've ever grown in your life as we ride through the pages of romans let's pray father god you are sovereign lord my prayer this morning is if there's anybody here in this place that has heard your voice this morning. Father, they will answer like Paul, Lord, Lord, who are you, Lord, Lord, that they'll, they'll, they'll surrender their life to you today, understanding that you are God, and this is their moment that you have called them out by name, and Father, that they will be changed forever in an instant, a moment of time, where they've met the creator of this world. Lord, for the rest of us, Father, as we prepare to go through these amazing pages of Scripture which were written by you through the Apostle Paul. Father, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use this to grow us in Christ. I want to thank you for every single person that is here, that is listening by radio, that is watching through the Internet. Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of those that are in Christ, that, Father, that you, God, would grow us up in Jesus. Thank you for this amazing gift of salvation. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us to take it to the world like you have called us to do and do it with boldness and courage this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry I was so long. You all have an awesome week.